0: Welcome to Death Holler, the place of haunted hearts and haunted homes. We welcome you to Death Manor, the home that boasts the most ghosts. Come on in. We've been expecting you. Take a look around. You might see someone that you recognize. Do you hear those voices? That's just the Reverend Dr. Death and La arena They're so happy to see you. Sit back and relax. Make yourself at home, your new home. And remember, when you're in death holler, listener discretion is always advised. We hope you enjoy the show. Oh my God. Reverend, you're going to kill me. I haven't been recording this whole time. Okay. I'm recording now. I'll see what I got from this uh, recording that's going on right now. So let's just keep moving. Okay.
1: So anyways, you would probably like Kills, uh, but I don't know that you will like ends because it's the majority of the movie is if like say, you know, they, they use that term elevated horror. It's like if somebody looked at it and said, hey, can we make slasher, make the slasher concept into an elevated horror or more psychological and and work all that angle in, and they tried it. I thought they were doing a damn good job of it, and then they were like, nah, let's go back to the original shit." So that's what you get with Halloween ends. Wonderful. And I don't, I don't, I don't know that you would like it, honestly.
0: That sounds like it sucks, donkey balls.
1: <laughs> and, the, and the reason I say I I would like it, and that you wouldn't, you're not exposed to slashers enough to be tired of the genre or to be tired of the tropes in it. Which I'm not tired of them. It's just that. I recognize them and I'm like, okay, but I like when somebody tries something different with the tropes. Yeah. And that's what they did in this up to a point, but they didn't have the conviction to stick with it is the problem.
0: Kind of like same shit, different day. You are going to, you are working very hard on making me tired of slashers. We're going to work on that next season coming
1: up oh yeah you're you're gonna you're gonna realize why slash or the the, all the things behind slashers and then when you get to scream you'll be like okay yeah i know all these rules because i've just been bashed over the head with them (laughs) and you'll be wishing that you had halloween ends or what they're trying to set up as like you know something you can watch and then you'll have that run for you too because when you get to the end of halloween ends even the writers couldn't stick with that new concept so that's what you got
0: check it out next season majority of slashers i have not seen (laughs) Uh, I'm being forced. <laughs> I want to say against my will, but I'm a willing participant. Uh, to watch a lot of s- horror movies I have not seen, i chosen not to see, and uh, yeah, <laughs> it'll it'll the, be interesting.
1: You know what the funny thing is, though. I saw it describe the movie that we're going to talk about on the the podcast this episode that it's actually a bridge between ghost movies and slashers, and it's really not a bad description of what this movie is that we're going to be talking about. So all right, it's actually a good transition between the two seasons. <laughs> Let those people in and roll and, well, actually, uh, roll the death a uh, holler music. <laughs> My name is Zach Bagans. I never believed in ghosts until I came face to face with one. So I set out on a quest to capture what I once saw on a podcast. With no real money to invest in this endeavor, I'm joined by the very spirit that turned my world upside down. We review horror movies so that others may be entertained or at least educated. These are our Ghost Facers.
0: There it goes. Ghost, <laughs> ghost Facers. We face a ghost the line.
1: Sorry about that folks. I am, of course, Reverend Dr. Death, joined as always by Law Urena, and this is Death Holler. Uh, as we wrap up ghost season, prepare for upcoming trip to camp blood, we couldn't pass up the opportunity to discuss one of the oldest ghost stories in American literature. One that is particularly perfect for Halloween season. Um, I don't know if, uh, you know, how, how you feel about the, uh, these particular movies, but, I, I've, I actually reread the story recently. It's not that, I mean, it's a very short story that to saw based on, but it's probably one of the best written ones and that I've, had the pleasure of reading so
0: um you know i have not read the story at all i've only gotten it through (laughs) disney and through tim burton
1: it it's surprising because we you know we talked about on blind manor that uh you know or i mentioned how when you try to read henry james it's like it's i mean such a different you know way that he he wrote it and like the it's all this, you know, grand language and all that. But the language, even though it's a little bit more uh, convoluted than what we would use, I mean, to deliver the story, Washington Irving wrote pretty well to speak to modern audiences. I mean, there's even a section in there where he's talking about his experiences with women, and I'm sure a lot of guys nowadays could probably still relate to the way that he describes it.
0: (laughs) Okie (laughs) dokie.
1: It's basically he, you know, cause he's this, um, he's the narrator and he, you know, that's the conceit of the story. He's telling the, the, the legend of sleepy hollow and he, he breaks in to say, you know, when he's talking about, uh, you know, Ichabod crane that whenever he, you know, whenever he gets smitten by Katrina van Tassel that there, uh, you know, that he, that he knows personally that, and he's not very good with women, but he knows that there's two types, there's ones that you can, you know, only have one key to their heart and you have to be the special guy to be able to find that way in and, and, you know, and charm them. And he said, there's another type that have like, uh, uh, you know, a thousand keys to their heart. And, and he goes on to say that the, the man who can, you know, work his way or, you know, become like, you know, charming to the woman who only has one way to her heart is skilled. But he says the man who can, uh, both work his way into the heart of the woman who's got you know a thousand ways to it but then also keep that same woman yeah. is actually a hero
0: the key master
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah he's basically saying that you know if, if a woman easily gives away her love and you're one of those uh, chads that gets out there and and not only wins them over but keeps them away from all the other guys then you know you're doing some damn fine work is <laughs> basically the way he phrases
0: it turning hoes into hell's wives <laughs>
1: That's exactly it, and 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 that's why he would probably phrase it if he was in you know using our <laughs> modern language. It's just funny to read because he literally, I mean, that, it's, some of the concepts is like, I mean, you, you reading it, it's like, okay, that that could describe modern times. Um, but yes, it's time to visit that quaint little town in Upper New York, just outside Terrytown, the infamous Sleepy Hollow. Uh, We will discuss the 1999 Tim Burton film, as well as the 1949 animated classic, The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. And, Urena, you know uh, how you can tell that The Legend of Sleepy Hollow was written in the North? No. Because if it was written in the South, it would have been called Sleepy Holler.
0: Oh, shut up! Oh, my God. (laughs) I'm going. I'm getting out of here.
1: Uh... So when you're riding home tonight, make for the bridge with all your might. He'll be down in the holler there. He needs your head. Look out. Beware. <laughs> oh, if you're enjoying this podcast and apparently your rain is not at the moment, <laughs> we would appreciate it if you could take the time to like, comment, and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you prefer. It helps us get more visibility and podcast listings and helps us grow. Also, consider following us on social media. Our new TikTok channel is Death Holler Pod, and we can be found on Instagram and Facebook under Death Holler Podcast. We appreciate everyone who listens and hope you enjoy the show. But first, a tag of the bees.
0: What is that? What is that? What is it? Oh, no, no not the bees! Not the bees! Ah! Oh, bee! ah! my
1: so, this Attack of the Bees, I didn't realize, it actually does have a slight connection to Sleepy Hollow, so I'm actually surprised, or I was pleasantly surprised whenever I caught the small connection. But the, episode, the it's actually a TV horror film that premiered on CBS in 1981. Uh, it was totally a surprise for the people who turned in Halloween season to find this, but it's called Dark Night of the Scarecrow. It is directed by... Frank D Felita, who, if you remember from the entity uh, episode <laughs> was actually the person who wrote that novel and screenplay. <laughs> uh, and it was, uh, but it was directed by him and this, he didn't write it. Uh, this is actually written by JD Feigelson who wrote the teleplay and Butler Hancock who wrote the story, uh, with kind of helped with the story elements and, uh, we have music by Glenn Paxton. Uh, principal players is charles derning who plays otis Hazelrigg, mailman mob leader unrepentant murder and he's definitely got pedo vibes Gross. and i'll get into that in a little bit but he yeah so your main, your main bad guy is a, is a pedophile basically um and he was of course in old brother where art thou played Papio daniels <laughs> if you remember that movie uh, he was in the Muppet movie, did tons of TV, and he was also the voice of Peter Griffin's dad on Family Guy. Wow. <laughs> yeah. uh, Larry Drake plays Charles Bubba Ritter. Uh, he is the good-natured, simple-minded man-child, a uh, friend of Mary Lee, and the innocent, wrongly blamed and killed in this movie, and, of course, becomes the vengeful spirit, the a.k.a. the scarecrow in the movie.
0: You can't become like a vengeful spirit without being wronged it's impossible
1: and yeah and they definitely did him dirty in this uh he was uh in dark man he played the villain in that and he was mainly known for la law he played a handicapped person in that one mentally you know um I want to say mentally retarded. He was, you know, he was special in that way. And then uh, he was also the the main bad guy in Doctor Giggles. If, but you've probably never seen that one, have you?
0: Are you surprised?
1: <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> I don't know if Doctor Giggles would count as a slasher. Technically, what he's a dentist that goes around killing all of his his uh, patients. Hmm,
0: maybe that I have. Count. No, I've seen the dentist. That's the scary dent- dental movie I've seen.
1: Uh, we have Lane Smith playing Harless, uh, who is a farmer, heartless, good old boy, and wood chipper enthusiast. And, of course, he was in our uh, recent uh, episode where we discussed the prison. And, of course, like I said in all those Mighty Ducks, my cousin Benny Red Dawn, <laughs> good at playing just a bastard uh, uh, southern guy. That's, that's what he was mainly used for. Claude Earl Jones plays Philby, who is the grain silo manager, has a bad heart, which no, that's not going to come up in the, the you know the movie at all. And participant in vigilante justice, and um, he was in Miracle Mile, Bride of Reanimator, tons of TV, including Battlestar Galactica. We have Robert F. Lines playing Skeeter. Of course, you got to have a guy you named. Got to have or a Skeeter. <laughs> Uh, he's the mechanic. He's not very smart. Actually, Bubba might be smarter than him in ways, uh, even if he is mentally handicapped, and this guy, quote-unquote, isn't. Uh, and he follows orders from Hazel Rig, and then he ends in a... And he ends up in grave circumstances, and I say that in quotation marks because literally Hazel Rig toward the end of the film decides that he's had enough. This guy and this guy might turn him in, so he knocks him out after they've dug up Bubba's grave and like you know, and covers him and Bubba back up. So um, that's what you get for being friends with Pedo, though. Just remember that, folks. They'll they'll leave you in a you know unmarked grave. Yep. He was in Avenging Angel, uh, Death Wish 2, and of course tons of TV. This was TV movies, so they're gonna pull from TV yeah. actors. Tanya Crow plays Mary Lee Williams. That's Bubba's friend. Uh, a young girl inadvertently causes his death. I'll get in that in the synopsis and then she sees dead people. She talks to Bubba. Okay. Uh, and she ended up uh, later on in Knot's Landing and Who's the Boss? So she was also in TV. And rounding out the cast is Jocelyn Brando, who plays Mrs. Ritter, uh, Bubba's mom, a tough take-no-shit country woman, and one of Hazel Ruggs, uh, victims, unfortunately. And uh, she was in Mommy Dearest and Dallas, amongst other TV shows.
0: <laughs> Love Mommy Dearest. Cautionary <laughs> tale I share with my kids often. <laughs>
1: <laughs> is that the one with the coat hanger? Is that yes! the one where... Okay. <laughs> It's horrible. That's going to be in our season for human horrors, though. It has got to be. be. (laughs) Synopsis Bubba, a large adult man with the mind of a child, is the target of a local mailman and his group of friends because of his relationship with a young girl. Now, I'm just, I didn't put this in my synopsis, but basically, the, you know, Hazelrigg throws it out there that they've got to break this up because, you know, Bubba's this big 36, 37 year old man. He's with an eight year old child. You know, <gasps> that ain't right. You know, that could be, you know, a problem. But Hazelrigg might be saying that because he's fucking jealous. That's all I'm going to say. Ew. You know, it's. Yeah, yeah. It's implied heavily in the show. They never come out and say it, but it's kind of implied that Hazel Rigg tries to get his his friends to go along with it because he, he makes it out to be like they have to do it to save Mary Lee, but it, you get the hint that he's just you know jealous that Bubba gets to hang out with her, and he don't. Um, when the girl is hurt as a result of an accident, and basically how she gets hurt is that she goes into this uh, fenced-in yard. Bubba tells her he can't go in there. His mama told him he wasn't allowed to. Uh, she goes in there. There's a big like Doberman Pinscher looking style dog or something in there. It starts to run toward her. Bubba steps in, but unfortunately he's a little too late. And when he comes out carrying what looks like her dead body covered in her blood, the town immediately assumes that Bubba was the one that did it after, you know, cause he's this big guy and you know, and everything. And that's whenever Hazel Rigg and his group decides to take, you know, they're like, well, this gives us an excuse now just kill the fucker. I mean, that's literally the, the, their mental leap that they, they go to.
0: Not surprised.
1: Um, yeah, yeah. So uh, when the when the sheriff is saying that they've got an APB out for Bubba uh, Hazelrig, just like, come on, boys, let's take care of this ourselves. And that's whenever they take vigilante justice on him. Um, unfortunately, whenever they find him, uh, they gun him down. He's hiding in an old scarecrow. His mama tells him tells him to play the hiding game. He hides in this old scarecrow in his field with his head covered up in a in a hood uh, like a sack hood. And whenever Hazel Rigg realizes he's, you know, they've got these dogs that lead him there. Whenever he realizes he's inside of the the Scarecrow, uh, Hazel Rigg just tells them to unleash on him. And right, and it, it just perfectly, right after they get through killing Bubba, filling him full of holes, they get a call on uh, Harless's uh, CB radio from the sheriff saying, uh, APB's canceled. It wasn't. Bubba actually saved her from the dog she came to, you know, and course damage is done at that point Ew.
0: um
1: the case against the vigilantes is thrown out due to lack of evidence and there's a hint at small town politics you know they're they're in thick oh, yeah. i mean mailman and some others and uh and of course uh, just but justice is served from beyond the grave is one by one each murderer is visited by bubba scarecrow out in their field each one of them sees like the scarecrow that that he was in and then one by one they each die um the next morning after they see it. Uh, the only one who knows the truth is young Mary Lee, who, who knows that some friendships last after death. Um, It's a very interesting movie for a made-for-TV movie. I mean, it's, you know, it's it's not got any blood in it. I mean, well, there might be. There's a little bit of blood. I take that back because when they shoot Bubba, there's, like, the bullet holes have blood. But it's very minimal otherwise. Most of the deaths are off screen or they're orchestrated in a way that you don't really see, like, you know, mangled bits or anything like that. Harless himself has got like actually falls into one of his own wood chippers. That's one thing that I like about it. They set up each one of their deaths, like at the beginning of it. Cause Harless is using a wood chipper when you first see him. So of course that's how he dies. Um, uh, Philby is, uh, you know, whenever he's running after Bubba, whenever they're trying to gun him down, you, he, he has to stop he clutches his heart and then takes these heart pills. So, you know, that he's going to end up dying of a heart attack at some point. And then, um, and, um, Basically, uh, Hazelrig uh, ends up uh, getting killed or actually killed by Bubba at the end of the movie. So he, he gets his comeuppance straight from you know Bubba on screen so you can see that. And they don't ever show the scarecrow moving until the final scene. And it's kind of creepy the way they do it, too, because it's like it's out in the middle of the night. Hazel has been impaled on a pitchfork and uh mary lee's just sitting there and she's like you know in the middle of this cornfield you know right next to a dead body or not far from it she's like uh now we've got a new game we can play uh bubba and then you see like the scarecrow uh, like its hand move in and it's you know holding a flower for like he always did when he was alive Aww.
0: um
1: <laughs> uh but it it's the first movie that ever had a scarecrow as like the as a horror like you know uh, type villain so it, it's any other movie that came after it this was the one that set that standard it's like it being a you know frightening type monster that you have to deal with including the episode of supernatural where they have oh well, yeah I think it's the pagan god that you know was inside the scarecrow
0: that was that was a really good episode but but scary sc- scary versions of scarecrows existed prior to this i mean did the scarecrow from arkham well, not Arkham, but from uh, Batman already. It wasn't scary, but it was a villain.
1: And it's funny because that scarecrow, uh, his la- his name is Jonathan Crane. So who do you think he was based on?
0: Oh my God.
1: Yeah, he was based on Ichabod. No, so shut it's funny up. that that's why I say that the- I was really surprised. I was just wanting to put this in here because I love this movie. And then I got to reading, and it's like, you know, in the cartoon and in the book. Uh, because he was so skinny and lanky and tall, they always, uh, Washington Irving and, you know, and, and also in the Disney special, they, they said that, uh, Ichabod looked like a scarecrow that had walked out of the cornfield.
0: Oh my God. Yeah. Uh scarecrow was created in 1941. So versions of a villain, villainous scarecrow had, had existed obviously, but, but this is the first movie that,
1: yeah, this is the first official like horror, you know, like I version like it. of it outside of you know the comics.
0: And you keep telling me to watch it.
1: Yeah, I'm I, I'm serious. Like it's for what it is. It, it's it's very well done. Like I, it's it's. I mean, and they they even mention it in some of the stuff I read. It's kind of like those old, like you know. Um, Tales from the Crypt or EC comics where, you know, like somebody does something evil and then they get their come up and it's like through some supernatural means later. That's exactly what this is. Like, yeah. I think even, uh, JD Feiglson admits that he was, he based whenever he was writing the story, he was heavily inspired by EC comics. Nice um As far as the Nick Cage rating, I'll give it the uh, Joe. It's a low budget movie, and you can tell that. But the acting more than makes up for it because every one of the uh the actors that they have in this, uh, I mean, really sells part. Even Larry Drake, I mean, I, he's barely in it because I mean, for the most of the movie, it's just it's just for you know boating like you know Scarecrow. But the parts at the beginning of it were you know like he's you know playing the part of Bubba. Like I mean, he really gives his all, and you can tell that. They, they probably took this movie and said, whenever they were making that character in L.A. Law, which is, you know, kind of this idiot savant type character who's, you know, like a lawyer or whatever, but has, or at least involved in law, and has that, you know, mental handicap, uh, they had to have based it on his performance in this, because, I mean, he just does a good job of selling that, you know, like, he's just kind of simple-minded, but good meaning, well-meaning, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, it's it's definitely worth checking out. One of the better TV movies that was put out there, so highly recommended.
0: I wonder if the hubby has seen it yet. I guess we'll have to find out. I don't know.
1: Out. It's... It takes place during Halloween too, so that's the reason I bring it up for this episode. There's actually Hazelrig corners. That's part part of the reason why I say that it's heavily implied he's a pedophile. He corners the little girl like toward the end of the film. She's at like a uh, like a local like Halloween party that they're having, and like it looks like a school or a community center. And he and while her and they're playing like hide and seek. Her her and her friends and they and she's the one that's supposed to find them. So after she's done counting, Hazelrig shows up, and the way that he's talking to her. It's almost like somebody, it's like, you know, he's trying to like tempt her with candy or something. But I mean, his motive is he wants to find out, you know, she knows who's been doing the killings. That's what he's, but the way he says it and the way he acts around her, it's really creepy.
0: I don't like it.
1: (laughs) It's all right, though, because she knows that he's the one that killed Bubba. And, and like, when she admits it uh, and she tells him that Bubba told her, that's whenever, you know, shit goes off the rails for Hazel Rick. He finally starts unraveling, like, massively at that point. He starts drinking and all kinds of stuff.
0: Is this the same Bubba that shot the jukebox that night?
1: Uh, no. This Bubba's <laughs> too nice to shoot the, the jukebox, so. Okay. <laughs> Uh, But moving on to uh, one of our main discussions, uh, we will be covering the Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad, 1949.
0: I got an open Uh, for that. You want me to play the song? Go ahead. Let's do it.
1: Just gather
0: around, and I'll elucidate on what goes on outside when it gets late. Long about midnight, the ghosts and banshees, they get together for their nightly jamboree. There's things with horns and saucer eyes, some with fangs. About this size. Some
1: are fat, and some are thin,
0: and some don't even wear their skin. Oh, I'm telling you, brother, it's a frightful sight to see what goes on Halloween night.
1: Oh, it's perfect! I love that setup. Yeah. Um, so, Adventures Vic, Bod, and Mr. Toad. Obviously, we're not going to cover the Mr. Toad segment. I oh, admit.
0: good, because always... I didn't watch it. <laughs>
1: yeah well i always felt like i mean i like the wind in the willows don't get me wrong it's a, it's a good story but the mr toad segment is set during christmas so i get more of a christmas vibe from that whole yeah. part of the episode and it's kind of weird that it's included but i'll kind of cover that in tri- trivia why they bunch these two together
0: okay uh
1: directed by james algar uh clyde uh Geronimo, and jack kenney uh written by and i'm sure i'm assuming that's all the different various parts i couldn't like Figure out who exactly maybe did the just the Ichabod section. Uh, Obviously, it's written by Washington Irving, who's it's based on his story, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. And uh, Erdman Penner is the one who did the story. Uh, Music is by Oliver Wallace, uncredited with vocals, obviously, by King or Bing Crosby.
0: (laughs) King Bing Crosby, yes.
1: King Bing Crosby, yes. Uh, Actually, I would say that uh, because he is pretty much the main. Uh, narrator or in voice of the whole entire damn thing. I mean, he does the voice of Ichabod, Brom Bones, most of the other people in it, you know, the only ones who, who isn't, uh, you know, his voice is, there's a uh, Billy Bletcher who does the Headless Horseman Uncredited, the kind of that, you know, laughing scream that he does. Yeah. And um, uh, we have uh, Pinto Colvig playing, Ichabod, or when he does Ichabod's like kind of high-pitched scream, amongst other townsfolk, and then Gloria Wood does, like, the female voices. But the rest of the time, it's it's Bing Crosby narrating
0: everything. Which is funny because I knew it was someone like Bing Crosby of that status, that kind of singer, because you could tell just by the voice, I did not know it was him.
1: Yeah, and he, I mean, he's known for tons of stuff. I mean, m- mostly the fact that he was a singer. But, yeah. But, I mean, uh, and his Christmas music is some of the best that was ever recorded like i mean it's in most christmas films if you hear one i mean um, you know uh even the national lampoon's christmas vacation has one of his songs in it, whenever clark's like looking out the window and imagining you know that he has the pool that's <laughs> playing the the bing crosby uh, Monica monocleaky whatever you know song Maka. yeah i mean it, it's he's in a lot of them um and he did Holiday Inn is where he first did the song White Christmas. Uh, great movie, but very dated. It does have blackface. There's no no excuse in it. Uh, White Christmas. Uh, he they actually just they took that song, made it into another movie altogether with him and Danny Kaye. Yep. Um, and then he did all the Road Two movies with Bob Hope, and then those were kind of made fun of on uh Family Guy mentioning that again, just because uh, there was the 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 Road Two series that they did with uh Brian and uh, uh, Stewie, you know yeah. the baby or whatever, like they're on the road somewhere and it's like these two and a lot of comedy and stuff. Uh synopsis of this one is an unusual-looking tall dandy becomes a new schoolmaster in a little New England town nestled deep in the woods. He uses his wits to charm the local women and to remain well-fed. It isn't long until the daughter of the richest man in town catches his eye and Ichabod begins dreaming of being straight-up pimp, <laughs> married to the prettiest woman around and spending all of her daddy's money. Uh, Katrina's other suitor, Brom Bones, isn't having any of that shit and begins a healthy rivalry with the schoolmaster to win Katrina's affection. Their battle culminates in the two squaring off at Pappy Van Tassel's Halloween celebration and Ichabod, properly scared, being left to fend for himself as he makes his way home alone through the haunted woods. Ichabod charms the off of every single mother in town. Brom Bones flexes for his boys, and pumpkins fly through the air because you can't reason with a headless man. <laughs> I love this thing. I just, I mean, there's no, there's no reason to even hide my, you know, <laughs> yeah. rating at all of this thing. It, I watch this every year, just like the the Garfield special. But it's, it's, I mean, it's Bing Crosby's singing and his voice that really sells it, and the art, the yes. art in this is like it, it evokes that fall Halloween feeling more than any one of the, any other really cartoon out there because I love how they did like all the trees like they're almost uh they've got I mean it's it's kind of like uh, you know like dolly or something like they're it's not really like really realistic or anything like that but it's enough and the colors are so vivid that it just you know evokes that feeling
0: Yeah this is uh, this movie's from movie well cartoon animated film is from 1949 and it goes to show that the ratings back then, uh, a lot different. You can kind, They kind of got away with more in terms of scariness because it was not conservative at all. I think that what they had in here was terrifying for kids, and I fucking love it.
1: Yeah, it's just like we talked about Garfield. I mean, it's got enough of the menace of the holiday along with the fun of the holiday to to kind of capture that feeling. Whereas, you know, I mean, and I would say this even more than Garfield because, I mean, Garfield went into that a little bit. But this one, I mean, they straight up hint that um, Ichabod was killed that night whenever he throws the the pumpkin at him. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. There was a fucking real threat. And I mean, I guess they kind of do, they show at the end, Ichabod again.
1: They do, but then they, they do just like in the story where they, where they leave it a little bit. I mean, the story's a little bit less ambiguous than Mm -hmm. this was, but I mean, actually this ups or ups the scare a little bit in the sense that, I mean, at the end of it, When they're talking, whenever, you know, Bing's, like, narrating the ending of it, he mentions that there was rumors that the schoolmaster moved to another town and, like, you know, had a huge family and all that. But then he says, but then he goes on to say the very final thing. He's like, but the people in Sleepy Hollow know that that was, you know, all bullshit, basically, (laughs) because, you know, they they know that he was, you know, killed and spirited away by the, the Headless Horseman.
0: Yeah. I love it. I fucking love this. I, I love the story. I love how it's told. I love how it's displayed. Um, You know, I hate to say so soon, but I don't think there's anything about this that I don't love. I do think that, I mean, but this is how it's supposed to be. Ichabod Crane is very nerdish looking. So <laughs> I don't see how he really stood a chance. He, I mean, that's all, I guess that's all he had was smarts, you know.
1: So the funny thing is I, I had this discussion with, uh, Cody at work and he, and we were talking about it and he said he couldn't understand as goofy as cause I mean, we brought it up that, you know, Johnny Depp obviously is the complete opposite of what you would think, you know, Ichabod should look like based upon his description in the book and how he was presented in this old cartoon mm-hmm. and, uh, he, and we brought up the fact that, you know, he was so charming to everybody and he was just like, but how, like the way he looked and all that, and if you read the story. It's mainly because, I mean, Ichabod was the kind of guy who, uh, well, first of all, he he was one of those, I mean, because he was a schoolmaster and the way that, I mean, he did help. Like they made it in this where he was kind of a sorry, you know, person outside of, you know, like he was just lazy ass outside of his schoolmaster job and just kind of like, you know basically relied on people's uh, goodwill to keep fed and all that stuff but in the story he did like he he didn't have a place to stay he had to stay with like the individual families and they would rotate him out each week to yeah. a different family so that nobody had to take the burden on because they didn't have the money to pay him officially I oh, mean, outside okay. of a small stipend or whatever so what he would do is he would stay on the uh, stay with them and he would help the farmers out but he would do like the lightest work that the farmer had to do like he you know it, he he specifically chose not to do heavy manual work while he, it was just enough to you know make himself feel like he wasn't like a deadbeat you know yeah um but the thing was is that since he was staying with these families he was also helping, uh, with the mothers with their kids because, you know, he was fine with that because he, he worked with kids anyways. So, I mean, if you've got like a mother who's like, used to like just working herself to the bone and then having to raise the children too, which in frontier times, that would have been the case. Yeah. I mean, to have this man come in there and agree to take, you know, like babies, basically babysit your children and give you the, the opportunity to go, you know, have some free time. Well, that, Hey, that's going to, you know, ingratiate a little bit to the guy. I mean, if nothing else, because most men at the time wouldn't attempt to do that because they were busy doing actual work. But yeah. I mean, you know.
0: Maybe gave them a little he, foot rub, maybe a little shoulder rub. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but also he was, he. you, you got to remember back in those times, it's like people were dying to have, like, I mean, like, any information from outside their little communities, and he came from a totally different state. Oh, like he didn't. Yeah. I mean, this is set in New York. He came from Connecticut, and he would come in there, and he would tell them all these stories that he had from his home state, and, and even stories that he got told while he was at other people's houses, so he was the gossip spreader, too. So these women loved him when oh he came into God. the house, because he was sitting there just like, you know, chatty Kathy, just, like, feeding, you know, information to them left and right.
0: Great personality, ladies. He had a great personality,
1: and that's what it was. It was, and I mean, it you know. But the thing was, is that because, and I mean, he was very, and he was also a very good dancer. I mean, that's established at the end of the cartoon, but it's also in the story. He he could outdance everybody, uh, and and it's funny that the way that it's worded because obviously it's from a different time. But basically, it said that even the uh, even the black folk in the neighborhood would gather around and watch him dance. So because he wow, was that,
0: <laughs> that is big out here. Like those are the people that are known for the best moves next to Latinos. So you know. So
1: I mean. So you had this guy who was cultured, I mean, who was, you know, well, I mean, well-spoken. I mean, he could sing. He did teach singing classes, you know, even in the story. I mean, he he could dance. Like, I mean, he had all the cultural charms to him. He just looked like a weird fucker. I mean, like, he just, I mean, he didn't have looks for anything. Um,
0: Again, and, great but, personality.
1: But the problem is he did bite off more than he could chew with Katrina because she is described in the story and in this cartoon as being a, a, an old timey thought. I mean, for sure. Like (laughs) that whole over there, like she, I mean, I swear up. I mean, I swear when you read about her, she knew like, I mean, the way that even Washington Irving described her, she knew just the right clothes and just the right fashions to show off her physical assets at, you know, at a time whenever you mostly tried to keep covered up. And it's funny because he talked about how she, uh, had to, uh, she made sure to show her like feet and ankles because they were the prettiest around. So
0: okay, <laughs> it,
1: it made me think, I was like, okay, so since they all had to be covered up, you know, in corsets and everything else back in the day, there were probably a lot of foot fetishes going on or something oh because that's all a man could see. I
0: bet her wrist too. <laughs> oh my God.
1: But she, but literally she's describing the story as going around and, and she works every country bumpkin around to get what she wants because she knows that they're all infatuated with her and with her daddy's money. And, you know, and, and it's hinted in the story and it's in this that she didn't, the, the reason she started, you know, allowing to be courted by you know ichabod is i mean she was i mean she did like his company but mainly it was to make brom uh, bones jealous so he would work harder to get her
0: oh okay get it girl i
1: don't know yeah so i don't know what that says about her but that's what she did
0: i wish i had the (laughs) button to play there's some hoes in this house
1: Not too, I mean, that's not too different than what she would have been considered. And then Brom Bones, he was a, I mean, you know, I mean, you have, so you have Ichabod being a simp for her. yeah. But he's, but he's also greedy. I mean, he it even describes the story. He he's, It's funny in the story, he describes how he's not only going to take over, you know, he he hopes to take over her daddy's stuff once he's, you know, gone, but that he plans on selling all of it off, getting a big bunch of money, and then fucking off to Kentucky or Tennessee where he can make more money, yeah. uh, you know, than he could up there.
0: Hey, he's <laughs> got a plan.
1: So he's not like the most – it's funny because as far as a – he's supposed to be the hero of the story but is he really because I mean he's he's pretty greedy I mean and pretty lazy too
0: what I'm getting from this story at this age is they're all bad people like (laughs) when I was a kid like I was like oh my god poor Ichabod but then I was kind of watching him like he's kind of a coward
1: yeah, and, well, it's funny because Brom Bones is, I mean, is actually the hero of the story because everybody agrees that even though he gets in the shit and, like, he's, you know, uh, mischievous and, like, he, you know, he'll he'll tear some shit up just, you know, with his, with his buddies or whatever. He, like, runs with a, a gang or whatever. But, like, they, the, but the, it's all good-natured fun. Like, if he really messes up something of yours, he'll go back and fix it. And he's, like, the kind of guy who will, you know, like, he's brawny enough and all that. He can help you out if you, if you need it. It's just that he's more worried about having fun and, you know, chasing tail, basically, is what he does.
0: I mean, um, n- 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 uh, clearly not <laughs> tail as good as Katrina Van Tassel's.
1: Yeah, well, he was only really worried about hers because, I mean, she was the best around and he figured that, you know, that's what he deserved being the the alpha of the, the you know, Sleepy Hollow community, so... Yeah, Sleepy Hollow. Um, yeah, Sleepy Hollow community. Uh, but, I mean, like, yeah, you, you, you look at the story and, like, the three main people in it, Katrina, Ichabod, and Brom Bones, <laughs> they're all shades of gray. There's really nobody that's that great in that whole mix. Yeah. <laughs> and I just think, and it's funny too, because this cartoon shows that it doesn't, it doesn't paint any of them as being like, you know, the greatest people. I mean, you, you, when you're a kid, I agree with you hundred percent. It's like, Oh man, that sucks for Ichabod. He, he loved her. But then like you watch it as an adult, you're like, no, he straight up just really wanted to work his way in there and get all that money.
0: <laughs> Look at, here's all I have to say about that is that women have been doing it for centuries. Really, primarily, that is, for the longest time, that is mostly what we were good for. And, of course, making babies and cooking dinner, okay? So, one guy does it, and they write a story about him, and he's a bad person. Come on.
1: Well, they don't paint him as the bad person at the end of... at the end of the actual story it's just i mean the, the narrator leaves the judgment up to you whether or not Ichabod was bad it's funny because you know how it, you know how in this one it shows that he goes to another place and he has a family and all yes. that stuff well in the actual book the story is is that he went to uh this is in upper New York. He, he moved lower in the state. He became, or, uh, he studied law. This made him get off his ass to actually get a, a full on career because he, you know, all the stuff that happened to him. So he studied law, he became a, uh, uh judge and then he became a politician. Which I think is hilarious because yeah. you think of somebody who's a money grubber, you know, lazy ass, you know, work all the angles. That fits a politician perfectly.
0: <laughs> 100%. I also want to point out at the end of the show, this has always kind of made me giggle. You notice the woman he got with at the end allegedly got with if he had a family. Was with... that fat woman? Yes! That was
1: with brown bones. Yeah.
0: Oh, my God.
1: But it's also hinted in the show that she was the best cook, if you I remember mean, right. Yeah. So...
0: so he was happy.
1: Yeah, Um, and then I think it's funny, too, because whenever it shows Brom Bones getting uh, married to Katrina, it looks like she's put on a little weight. I mean, she could be pregnant at that point, but that (laughs) would have been taboo for the time. I just think that, I mean, it kind of hints that even, you know, Brom Bones, even by getting Katrina, I mean, her beauty was going to fade, so I hope she had more to her than just, well, I mean, she obviously had her daddy's money, you know, and her mama's good looks. But uh, did she have a stack of comic books is all I'm asking because she needed a little bit something extra. He was going to have to, you know, live with a fatty for a while. So. Oh,
0: my. <laughs> Hold on one second. I did not notice that about her. Oh, yeah, my God. I mean, you're it... right. <laughs> <laughs> she does look hefty. Oh, my yeah. God. By a lot. Yeah. And, and it's not her stomach. And that is not just the bustle of her dress.
1: Yeah, it looks like she's got another chin or two, so.
0: Holy, I don't know why I've never noticed that.
1: <laughs> Which he could be fine with that. He could be a chubby chaser. It, it could work out for both of them. I don't know. I'm just saying that, you know. She, I mean, she might've been the, uh, the prize there for, you know, a while, but you know, there's, uh, hopefully she had, she worked on her personality a bit too, because yeah the way she was working all the angles, I mean, uh, he's going to have a rough time with her.
0: Yeah. Her, her waist is super, super tiny while she's dancing, but oh my God, I cannot <laughs> believe I totally passed that.
1: Um, I don't well. I mean, if we go through our regular stuff, we've already talked about the visuals. I love the art style in this. Um, music is great. The songs in this uh, by Bing Crosby are just great. Like yes. that whole like you know whenever Ichabod's introduced and like you know you have Brom Bones and he's like you know Odds Bopkins, Gadzooks. You know, I mean, and even the end part that you play part of. Like I love that whole like song that he sings at the end of it before you know like it Ichabod sent off on his own. Yeah. And something I didn't notice until I was watching this for the review, they do one more thing to make this more menacing for children. And the fact that Ben Crosby's like warm, comforting voice completely drops out of the cartoon while you're following Ichabod on his ride home. It's not there at all. I Did you notice that? No. Yeah, like once he once he starts on the road, it's it's just this all the sounds the whistling the, of the wind you
0: know, and everything.
1: With, and, and then whenever you do hear Ichabod, it's like that weird quavering voice that he has, like that somebody else is doing, like that high pitched, you know, like laugh that he does when he starts to go insane or whatever yeah. because of the reeds and um and you don't you don't hear from Bing at all until like hit you know, until he tar- he starts up the next morning, you know, and then yeah. he, he, he comes back in for that. That's
0: – no, I never noticed that.
1: And it's really – but it's really creepy. I mean, especially if you from the point of view of the kids because, like, it's one thing to have, you know, the distance to have this guy, you know, relating the story who's got this really comforting voice, but then whenever he just totally skips out and you're left to ride home alone with Ichabod by himself and his horse, then you've got, you know, you're kind of putting that, you know, point of view too, like you're, uh, we're dealing with this shit now, yeah. you know. And, and I love how they've animated the the Headless Horseman in this. Like, he is probably the scariest, most effective villain that Disney ever put to film.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's so funny because I remember as a kid, I'd be like, how are they doing that? This was before I realized cartoons were not real, that they were drawings. <laughs> but, like, even – yes, that's one thing to be a child and to think that. But, like, yeah, the way they – I don't know. Everything is just so cool looking in this. Like not just cool looking. That's just a terrible description. It looks the like co- a painting. Yes. The colors too. the light, the lighting,
1: yeah, like whenever he sees that uh, tree that has like the, that looks like a, you know, the shrouded spirit or whatever, the two glowing eyes, and mm-hmm. it ends up being fireflies, the way that they lit that just yes. was, was great.
0: Uh, the way faces are lit, the way the pumpkin is lit, the way the lighting moves when they throw the, you know, the head or the pumpkin, I should say, the jack o' lantern. Um, it's beautiful. It's very beautifully done.
1: And, and, and it sucks, too, whenever you go and you realize that we've lost that, kind of, because everything's CGI now.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard. It's, I don't know why they wouldn't go back to something this classic. I know it's probably more work, technically. But is it? And you charge so much for CGI, you know? Yeah.
1: <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, but they say that that hand-drawn like animation is also so tedious and time-consuming that it, it it's bad on its own too. So I don't know. I mean, both of them are bad in their own way.
0: You know what's also hard, but Tim Burton managed to pull it off is stop motion filming.
1: <laughs> well, that's true. That's true.
0: I mean, sometimes there's um, just nothing there's nothing like it, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean it, it gives you a physical I, I or or something I mean there's just something physical and artistic about it that you don't get from like a computer like that. Yeah. You just don't. Um story, the story is fantastic. Like that, that I was surprised at how short and to the point the story is. It it conveys everything. I mean, even the rich I mean this one does especially. But I mean, even going back to the source material, like I mean, and, and it's funny too, because a lot of the ways that they have lines that they have uh Bing Crosby speak you know talking about the pedagogue and the way that he speaks and says things that's almost lifted straight it's like somebody filtered slightly what Irving said in his story I mean so it's very close like this is a good representation of the story even in the way that Bing uh, delivers some of his lines just because it, it matches the way that Irving uh, kind of spoke in the story
0: yeah um I, I lost what I was gonna. I lost where I was going with it because I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh.
1: Acting-wise, I mean, it's it, it, it all goes into the voice acting of it. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, and a lot of it's it's a lot of it's sing-song, but it but it works for the piece because I, I make the, it kind of makes it feel like a campfire tale that somebody's kind of you know put to music or something It's kind of what I get from it.
0: Uh, I definitely don't fall asleep during this. This is always something <laughs> I think that's the one thing I love about the action that you're mentioning is that how straight to the point it is, but it, it conveys a whole fucking story. But the acting it, you're talking about primarily Gene being Crosby doing the most majority of the voice acting. And I think just the greatness of his voice alone, it just gives it such a quality that you wouldn't get with anything else. So Yeah,
1: it, it makes it it makes it timeless. Yeah, one hundred percent.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, do you want to go into the trivia? There's quite a bit. Let's it do m- it. Talks about the book and the movie. Yes. Okay. The song The Headless Horseman is considered one of the darkest songs written for a Disney film. <laughs> I much love like it. worthless <laughs> much like worthless from the Brave Little mm-hmm. Toaster, nineteen eighty seven and Hellfire from the Hunchback of Notre Dame in ninety six. It was nearly cut from the film.
0: Well, I'm glad they didn't.
1: I'm glad they didn't either because this wouldn't be as effective without that song in it. It just wouldn't. Yeah. Um, but, and even that one line about sometimes they don't even wear their own skin. Like, yes. You, you would not get that in a modern cartoon for kids, like at all.
0: I mean, not one without a warning that, hey, by the way, this is scary, you know, blah, blah, blah.
1: <laughs> Disney's original title for the movie was Two Fabulous Characters. Apparently the only reason these two stories are linked together is the fact that their main characters are prone to disaster.
0: What the fuck?
1: And I mean, I think I've got that a little bit later on. But the reason that they uh, Disney started doing these mashups where they would take like two different like m- you know stories and like mash them together to make a full title because they didn't have they didn't they didn't have the stories to the, to pad out like a full movie. So they you know they would take like two shorter segments and just mash them together. And that's the reason that you got this odd pairing between the two. Nice. I mean is.
0: Guess so. So, I would hope that now, because when did um, when did the uh, Donald Duck with his nephews um, episode come out?
1: You talking about the one with witch hazel in it? Yes.
0: Oh, 1952. So it was a couple years later. Yeah, I feel like, I feel like for the- um, for a cassette, you know, back in the day, it was you know obviously cassette that this came out on VHS, if you will. Um, that mixing those two together would have been a nice sale, you know.
1: That would have been good, and I would have even included on it. Like they, I think they did on the DVD of this. Uh, they included that uh that one story with Mickey, Donald, and Goofy, and they're they're supposed to be ghost detectives, and they oh, go to yes. and they get a call from the ghost, they go to the haunted house, and then I mean that was pretty good too.
0: I love that one actually.
1: Um. Yeah. It's. I, I love the, res. The, I mean, it's like the ghosts are playing pranks on them the entire time. It, it There's not the, I mean, but there is a little bit of a threat to it because the ghosts are kind of hinting that they're going to kill these guys. I mean, whenever they come in there, they just don't, they end up getting too spooked to go through it whenever they see the, you know, all three of them in that combination of like flower and, you know, whatever else to make them look like, you know, when the three leads are all, you know, look like ghosts, it scares the, the real ghost outside of the house. Yeah. Uh, while the characters are fictional, the place names and landmarks depicted in the Legend of Sleepy Hollow in 1820 are mostly factual. The Terrytown of the short story is the village of Terrytown in Westchester County, New York. It was founded by Dutch settlers in the 17th century. It is located about 25 miles north of Midtown Manhattan in New York City. Some of the other landmarks are uh, located in the nearby village of North Terrytown, which was long nicknamed Sleepy Hollow and was actually renamed uh, to this name in 1996. So Sleepy Hollow doesn't technically exist anymore, but it's North Terrytown.
0: Okay. Uh, Which why why would you not go back to Sleepy Hollow?
1: I don't know, because that's a great name.
0: Oh, my God. <laughs> Not only is it a great name, could you imagine? the um, Well, maybe that's another thing. Halloween,
1: like yeah. visitors or whatever. The, the yeah. traffic
0: or whatever. I know that Salem, Massachusetts loves it. So I know that Halloween town in, that's in Oregon. I know they fucking love it.
1: <laughs> and then there's a town in Ohio that's supposed to be like, that that gets a lot of uh, credit for being like the one that celebrates Halloween the most or something. Because that's the one that uh, Mike Dartery kind of based uh his like story off of and you know trick-or-treat because there is a town in Ohio that does that
0: i mean you would you would be wise uh, to do that is all i'm saying
1: washington irving himself was actually buried in sleepy hall cemetery
0: Fucking awesome that's kind of that's really cool
1: yeah, it's actually probably a good trip just for that you yeah know? The information that the Headless Horseman died in a nameless battle of the American Revolutionary War is not unreasonable. The province of New York was part of some of the major campaigns of the war, and the battlegrounds for such battles as the Battle of Long Island and the landing at Kipps Bay. However, Washington Irving probably took his inspiration from the Battle of White Plains, which happened in 79, which took place only 10 miles from Tarrytown and Sleepy Hollow. And American General William Heath wrote in his memoirs that he witnessed a Hessian horseman being decapitated by a cannonball during the battle. Whoa! The body of the Hessian soldier was supposedly buried in an unmarked grave in the graveyard of Terrytown's Old Dutch Church by the townspeople. So, the the Headless Horseman, like, it's based on a real story. Yeah. (laughs) Which is really cool. I mean, I like it. It's... it's often cited as being along with uh, the story is Often cited as along with the Firebird and Fantasia, uh, the the Horn King, and the Black Cauldron, and the Chernobyl and Fantasia. That's the one I was telling you about. There's oh, summon yeah. the Souls to the Mountain. Yes, as one of the scariest villains in the Disney canon. Uh, Disney still receives complaints from children about the character frightening their children. Oh If you're, shut a, if you're up. a parent, if you're a parent that's complaining to Disney about Taylor's Horseman, go fuck yourself.
0: Yes, fuck right <laughs> off with that shit. What? I don't understand. It's not like if you think that's scary, imagine real life shit that can happen to your kids. That's just pretend.
1: You know, the Horn King and the Black Cauldron would actually make a decent, uh, you know, thing for uh, Zombie Season because he's basically a zombie and, and summons the dead back hmm. in a roundabout way. Maybe. It's. I mean, it's got some cool animation. I didn't see it until like a few years ago. I mean, well, actually, it's probably yeah, literally just two a couple years ago. Whenever Disney Plus, I think, had it on there. Uh, for years, it was like. I mean, it would they they wouldn't reprint it or anything because so many parents complained about it scaring their kids. <laughs> While the Headless Horseman is a fictional character, he has mythological roots in English, Irish, German, and Scandinavian folklore. Ghosts on horseback are common in these tales, and a few of them are headless. Uh, for example, uh, of Ghost on horseback, uh, there is the widespread legend of the Wild Hunt. It features a phantasmal spectral group of huntsmen riding ghost horses accompanied by ghost hounds. The entire group rides in mad pursuit across the skies along the ground or just above it. Uh, uh, there's also the Irish legend of the uh, Doolahan, a headless rider, often on the back of a black horse, who carries his own head under one arm. <laughs> and it's also a character that pops up in the Castlevania games, and it's it's a son of a bitch because he always comes at you so quick, you barely have time to react before he, you know, runs through you on his horse. So, yeah. you know, kind of aggravating. The horse of Ichabod Crane has a name in the short story; he is called Gunpowder.
0: Oh, I love and- it
1: he's also got i love the description of gunpowder in the story too because it describes him as being i mean he's an old rundown horse that's been like you know his his owner's like you know too old and decrepit to really take care of him and you know and the, and the horse is old and cre- decrepit too matching his master yeah but i mean like the horse is missing an eye he's like i mean his is you know hair's all matted up and got burrs in it and it describes how he's like got a you know, but his one good eye. It says that when you looked at it, uh, you could tell that he still had a bit of fire in him, uh, and because his master always, you know, uh, you know, had a bit of a fire in him too, and it, and that's and it gives you a hint that that's the reason he's able to uh, at least partially outrun the headless horseman later, even though he's this broken down old horse, because um, you know he still got a bit of the you know this, I don't know, just like stubborn, you know, like I'm, you know, like bucking bronco type to him yeah. which i love like there's a description for him.
0: <laughs> gunpowder uh
1: many fans have questioned whether or not ichabod or brahm is the hero <laughs> as ichabod's <laughs> ultimate aim seems to be gaining baltus fantastical's fortune greed is a frequent uh, villain's motivation in disney films which is a fair po- point i mean as we discussed there's really no hero in this story <laughs> Uh, one of Disney's four package films during World War II, the studio lost a lot of manpower and resources, was left it with countless unfinished ideas, too long for shorts and too short for features. So uh, Disney, uh, to make a quick buck, uh, st- stuck a lot of short ideas together into feature length films. Uh, make Mind Music, uh, 1946, Melody Time in 48, and Fun and Fancy in 47 were some others that they did this with.
0: Fucking Disney. Uh, the
1: Magic Kingdom Park at Walt Disney World has a Sleepy Hollow restaurant inspired by this film. The exterior of the restaurant is a replica of the Sunnyside, uh, Washington Irving's Dutch-style mansion on the uh, Hudson River in Tarrytown, New York.
0: Shut the fuck up.
1: I w- we went there Ugh. in 2020, me and my wife, to uh, Disney World. And even though it was like mostly like empty because of you know, COVID and all that stuff... They did have, like, a small Halloween parade that they were putting on, and it was it was really weird and cool at the same time. We just so happened to be at the Sleepy Hollow Restaurant getting ready to get some food whenever they brought this through because we didn't know. I mean, they were getting ready to do it, and, of course, the Headless Horseman rides by <gasps> as part of the you know parade, so we got to see Shut him up. near Sleepy Hollow Restaurant, which uh-uh. was really cool.
0: Okay, wait, how was Sleepy Hollow Restaurant?
1: Uh, the food that we got that day was really good. I'm trying to remember what it was. It was like um, it was like some kind of a different. Uh, it was like a sandwich-based thing. I want to say. I wish I could remember what I mean. I, there, there, there was something like they put like extra stuff on this. It, I want to say that it was like it was like a breakfast-style sandwich, but done with sweet and savory. I want to say that it had like it was a uh, french toast powdered french toast but it had like bacon and like something else like you know inside of it so that it, you got both of them but whatever but i remember it being really good
0: uh yeah the the only we don't have anything like that we have a restaurant inside of pirates called the blue bayou and it's mm-hmm. okay at best <laughs> <laughs> so jealous real Damn. jealous of where you went
1: yeah, I mean it, it was it was really cool. It was one standout thing because we got to see that, and of course, uh, uh, Jack Skellington was you know part of that parade too. So we got to yeah. see him as he was going by you know Sleepy Hollow restaurant. Uh, to save money on animation, Katrina was modeled closely after Grace Martin from Make Mind Music. Uh, she also greatly resembles Slewfoot Slew from the Pecos Bill segment of Melody Time in forty eight. So they basically reused animation in a lot of these older films, uh- and they're and.
0: Yeah, go
1: ahead. I was just gonna say that it's not just this movie. I mean, I've heard this about like Cinderella and some of the other ones. Thank like you. They, they I was repurposed. just gonna say
0: that looking at her, to me, I see Cinderella.
1: Yeah, I mean, they just uh, they 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 even took like the same front, like you see the same movements amongst the characters in a lot of these films. Like, they just I mean, it was easier for them to take that frame, like you know, that that they'd already animated the person dancing and just put a new face on top of it, you know, wow, with her. And that's what they did, just to save money, but it worked. Because, I mean, you know, the kids are not going to remember, and then most adults, I mean, you know, like it's years apart. I mean, they're not going to sit there and suddenly say, you know what, that looks exactly like, you know, that scene from the other movie. Yeah. The short story briefly compares uh, Lanky Ichabod Crane to a scarecrow. Uh, The comics character, Scarecrow, is obviously uh, based upon his name. I mean, you got Jonathan Crane, who was uh, based on Ichabod Crane. Pretty cool. Uh, the Legend of, Legend of Sleepy Hollow in 1820 was one of the works that both helped establish Washington Irving as a professional writer and gained a new audience for American literature in Europe. At the time, American writers had a particularly poor reput- reputation, and some of the British readers expressed doubts whether Irving was actually American. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, he wrote so well that the the Brits didn't want to claim he was American just so they didn't have to give us any credit.
0: Oh, Fuck off. <laughs>
1: He, it really is written really well, though. It stands up. Like, I mean, he is a, it's it's really weird in the sense that he has, like, a whole page could be, like, two sentences because of the way that he, I yeah. mean, and they're not run on sentences because he puts all the proper uh, punctuation in there to make them where they're not run on. But literally, like, a whole page could be two sentences because it's one long thing.
0: I feel like that would annoy me.
1: <laughs> it. it once you get in the flow of it, though, it actually it goes pretty well, and he does a really good job of explaining. I mean, like doing details. Like, I mean, the way that he described the villa you know, the fall colors and everything, is uh, you know why that. I mean, it. Once you read it, you understand completely the why where they got the inspiration for doing the art, you know, for the backgrounds in this cartoon. Because I mean, they just literally took his his descriptions and kind of put them, you know, into you know paint form, basically.
0: Yeah, um, and the cartoon really did a beautiful job
1: of that. Uh for sure. Uh, while commonly known as Brom Bones, uh the character's full name is Abraham von Brunt. And uh, that the reason <laughs> for that is I mean the reason for that is Abraham was shortened to Brom in the story because uh Irving and I don't think this is real, but he claimed that the that the Dutch would shorten Abraham to Brom and Bones was his nickname because of, you know, some of his uh, physical feats he was able to, you know, do. So that's why he was called Brombone.
0: It's because it was his street name. It was his street <laughs> name. Well gangster he did run with name. a
1: gang. He, yes. he he really did run with a gang and they did drive bys. I mean, they didn't shoot anybody, but they would they would go through your neighborhood in the middle of the night screaming at the top of their lungs and like kicking shit over. So they did drive bys. They in did old school Pony
0: uh, bys, you know. <laughs> Just
1: <laughs> ride bys. There we go. ride bys. That's what they did. <laughs> Uh, Disney animator uh, Andreas Deju uh, used Brom bones as a inspiration for Gaston and Beauty and the Beast. And I can see that 100%. If you look at two of them. Yeah.
0: Oh my God t-
1: I would like to see Brom bones fight Gaston. I'd like to see who would win between the two of them. It,
0: it was definitely an epiphany <laughs> when you said that I was like, okay because I wasn't thinking it, but as immediately when I saw it, I was like, oh yeah, absolutely.
1: It, but there's definitely a difference there in the sense that uh, Gaston's got more of that hotty toddy like, you know, European, like, you know, look to him. Because if you look at Ron Bones, he's got more like the chubbier, like, yeah. you know, uh, good old boy look to
0: he, him,
1: he a corn-fed, thick boy? Yes. <laughs> 100%. Uh, which is uh, another benefit to the animators because I mean that's I mean that's a good interpretation of what he would look like. I yeah. think the superstitious beliefs of Ichabod Crane are attributed to the story uh, or in the story to Crane having read the History of New England Witchcraft by Cotton Mather and believed in uh, and he believed it to be a factual account. There is, no actual, uh, there is actually no work by Mather under that name, although Washington Irving could be alluding to Mather's memorable providences relating to witchcrafts and possessions uh, that was made in 60, or 1689. Uh, Mather was appearance and minister and prolific author, though best remembered for his role in the Salem witch trials. He was a firm believer in witchcraft and the supernatural and influential champion of such beliefs. But that that is in the story quite a bit because Ichabod doesn't, I mean, he's all the time, he kind of sets himself up in the story for a bit because, I mean, all that stuff, He several times even before the final ride, he scares himself. You know, that whole scene at the end of it where he's, like, riding by himself and he sees, like, the, the, the fireflies and the trees and all that in the cartoon. Yeah. That actually happens quite a bit earlier in the story itself because every night he reads this book and then every night he has to walk from the schoolhouse back to whatever farm he's staying at. And along the way he gets scared out of his fucking gourd because <laughs> like, he keeps seeing fireflies and everything else. And you know, just the journal stuff that's in nature and it's, you're sitting there thinking, you're like, this guy's a glutton for punishment. Why does he keep reading this fucking story right before he has to go back home, you know, at night or whatever. I don't.
0: <laughs> he would have done well it, with the lyrics of scaredy cat.
1: It would have, uh, and I feel like Ichabod Crane was one of the original uh, horror fans because I mean he he almost is like a you know somebody who watches horror movies on a regular basis. He's trying to scare himself deliberately every yeah. time he fucking reads this book.
0: He's a sucker <laughs> for punishment. It just we're just, sometimes we're just like that. Look, I for the most part I am the biggest factor, the reason why we are going to Halloween horror nights. But I will tell you, I will be terrified when I'm there. I am going to get scared. And it's like it's <laughs> why would why would you go if you get scared? I I just still
1: yeah, why why do you put yourself through this? Yeah. I mean, you know, uh despite its horror fiction elements, the short story Legend of Sleepy Hollow was a happy ending for all three of the main <laughs> characters. <laughs> okay. Oh, uh, Brom Bones and Katrina Van Tassel marry Ichabod Crane, leaves Terrytown and Sleepy Hollow for uh forever, finds work and success elsewhere. He keeps school at other places, studies law, and is admitted to the bar. Acts as both a lawyer and a politician. Is last heard of as a justice in the Ten Pound Court. Wow. Um, but I will say this about the story that this trivia leaves out: it, he, they do Irving does go the route at the end of it, just like the, the cartoon does, saying that the people in Sleepy Hollow don't believe any of this about you know Ichabod Crane, and they still believe that he was whisked away. And also, the story goes on to imply heavily that it was Brom Bones dressed up as the headless horseman. Oh, yeah. Actually, you know, at the end of it, because it, it, Irving even said for years after, any time that story would be brought up, Brom Bones had a huge smile on his face.
0: <laughs> I so, I used to think that when I was younger, but it's also funny to I think, think that it was the headless. I horseman. I think in the
1: cartoon that it's it's supposed to be a ghost. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, I thought there's. I, was, I
0: thought that something happened in the cartoon where it's like, "Whoa, wait, this is this is no, this is a fucking ghost," and I can't remember.
1: The one thing that they imply in the cartoon is the fact that he looks down the, the basically the the collar of the headless horseman and he sees nothing. Down there we there. go.
0: Yes. Okay.
1: Yes. Uh, despite its American setting, Legend of uh, Sleepy Hollow was written while Washington Irving lived abroad, having settled in England. Most of his stories from the same period had English settings and featured English life and landscape. But he was still an American author, so the British can't sit there and say that we didn't produce good authors at the time. Yeah. Uh, while the name Ichabod is rarely uh, is rather rarely used, there was an actual historical figure called Ichabod Bennett Crane, uh, who lives from 1787 to 1857, a career military officer best remembered for his role in the war of 1812. While Washington Irving never admitted to borrowing his name, there is a strong possibility for it. The two men were acquaintances having met in 1814. And I think it's funny about this because, I didn't necessarily enjoy all of the show. There was parts of it that were decent, but the Sleepy Hollow show that was, I believe, on NBC for a short little stint, Mm -hmm. uh, which starts out with Ichabod living in his time, original time period, and then he's like, you know, was put under a spell, and then he wakes up in modern times. He's called a lieutenant or a lieutenant because he was actually, you know, involved in the military. So I think that that show actually took this fact and then ran with it, you know, saying that, you know that he was actually involved in the, you know, the actual war. Uh, the settlement where the story takes place is called Terrytown. In the short story, the more famous name Sleepy Hollow comes from the vivid description. Of the story of a nearby Glen, which is said to be bewitched, and that's a that's an interesting point in the fact that if you read the story of Sleep Legend of Sleepy Hollow, every bit of the story takes place in Terrytown, and they're talking about Sleepy Hollow because at at one point during the when they're at uh, Baltus Van Tassel's. Um, party that he's having it's the people from from Sleepy Hollow that have came to Baltus Fantasulos estate from their town that start relaying all the ghost stories and stuff so yeah. it's actually it's set in Terrytown but Sleepy Hollow is where all the ghost stories are coming from
0: which is i mean it's it's one of those things well definitely back in the day i mean it's one of those places where it was just that's what it was known for That has to be kind of like what Salem, Massachusetts is now. Oh, yeah, all the ghosts and all the spirits and all the witches are from there, (laughs) you know, when in reality they live everywhere, you know?
1: I like the description, though, that Irving gives. He's like basically anybody who went to uh, or who stayed in uh, Sleepy Hollow for any uh, given time, there was just something about the place uh, that caused you to start believing in the supernatural, even if you didn't believe in it prior to going there. I mean, not just things that you saw, but just the way that the, you know, like there was – just something about the environment that you were in, like it, you know, it just, it, it all fed into it, you know, so that was pretty, and almost like it was, uh, you know, almost had like fairy undertones, you know, like there was like, you know, you know, the Irish fairies or something like that. It didn't, but it didn't come right out and say it or anything.
0: It was the ergot and the corn.
1: Yeah, uh, well, I mean, that was clearly in Salem that, that led into <laughs> part of that at least.
0: I'm saying in Sleepy Hollow too, you heard it here first. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Uh, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow takes place from October to November in 1790, uh, to give you a little heads up on the time period there. Uh, And they don't officially have a Halloween celebration in the original story. It just happens to be a fall celebration. I like the fact that it's more Halloween-based when you watch the cartoon. Yeah,
0: I mean, and it's, well, yeah, it's, it's a harvest time. I don't think Halloween was a thing yet.
1: No, I don't think the Irish had came over in large enough quantities to make, because they were the ones that brought Halloween with them. It wasn't the Dutch or the English.
0: Well, not only that, but this was also the times where technically, I mean, I know the cartoon was in 1949, but technically it comes from a time era where um, you weren't allowed to celebrate stuff, especially like that.
1: Oh, well, that's true. You are yeah, barely I mean... allowed
0: to have a happy celebration, let alone a celebration of anything that could be witchcraft.
1: There was a time period around this, around this era or maybe shortly before where, it um, might have been shortly before, where the Puritans wouldn't even allow you to celebrate Christmas because oh, yeah. that was seen as too obscene.
0: Yeah, they had to compete with, uh, I want to say, the Catholics. and like, hey, well, they're allowing their people to celebrate Christmas, and we're losing people to this religion, so we might want to start letting people do that.
1: Yeah, and, of course, it was that upstart colony, Virginia, that just said, fuck it, we're going to allow people to celebrate. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Local tradition in the Sleepy Hollow area speaks of the decapitated horse of a Hessian trooper that was discovered after a violent skirmish in the American Revolutionary War. uh, And, of course, he was uh, reportedly buried in an unmarked grave in the old Dutch burying ground. Uh, The burying ground is also featured in Washington Irving's short story, uh, and Irving might have been familiar with the story and used this background for his for his headless horseman. I dig it. The horse of Brom Bones, which features prominently in the story and its adaptation, has a name. The story calls him Daredevil. He is Aww. mostly untamed horse, which uh, only Brom uh, can ride, uh, and with constant uh, tricks, uh, which kept the rider in constant risk of his neck. Brom reportedly liked it that way. So basically, Brom Bones rode a horse that was always threatening to kill him, okay. but he liked it that way.
0: I mean, marry a Latina, Brom. It could be and just it's as fun. In the st-
1: it's funny in the story, too. And maybe that's the reason he was going after Katrina because he knew that he was uh, going to constantly have, to, I mean, just like his horse, he he knew he was getting a woman that he was constantly going to have to, you know, uh, fight to keep yeah. or whatever. He wanted I to mean, be the key master. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's funny in the story though, because uh, the only story that Brom tell uh, everybody else tells the ghost stories to, uh, about the headless horseman, and Brom just fe- you know mentions his own story, uh, where he uh, outrode the headless horseman on Daredevil, but only barely. And he said yeah. that you know right whenever the headless horseman was catching up to him, he disappeared because he crossed the bridge. Yes. And that's where you get all that from. Uh, the van in the last names van Tassel and van Brunt is Dutch for "of" or "from." It is uh, it indicates connection and origin from a geographical place. A van Tassel is someone of Tassel. German cognate uh, cognate is von, and has the same meaning. Although uh, when a part of a name, uh, it implies a noble origin.
0: Okay, uh, so. I mean, yeah. However, you want to paint yourself. <laughs>
1: One of the main elements of the original short story by Washington Irving is that the story is of, of a cultural outsider in an otherwise homogenous community. Kadrina Van Tassel, Abraham Brom Bones, and the rest of the locals are Dutch-Americans in the state of New York, with a story explicitly calling them descendants of original settlers and uh, of the colony of New Netherland. Uh, Schoolmaster Ichabod Crane is a recent arrival of Connecticut and has no real ties to the area.
0: Basically, he white-white, and they're white with culture. <laughs>
1: But that's also where it goes back to what I said, the reason he's able to charm the women in that town, because like he's, you know, he he brings news from the outside. Like they don't, they don't know of his, you know, all the stuff that he brings in.
0: He's got the juice.
1: He's got the juice. Uh, and it's like corn or something, whatever that song (laughs) says. In the original, and that ain't hay in them fields. Uh, in the original short story, the Headless Horseman is only one of the local legends of Supernatural. Among others mentioned is that of a German doctor who first bewitched Sleepy Hollow and that of a Native American chief who served as both a prophet and a wizard to his tribe.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah, that's mentioned right at the beginning of the short story, actually. Wow. Uh, once di- once Disney decided that wind in the Willows' ad- adaptation would will be part of the package, there was still the matter of which package film that, uh, that would be. And early, it was to combine it with Mickey and the Beanstalk and the Gremlins. Uh, however, the Gremlin project never materialized, and the Mickey project was ready for release before the Wind and the Willows was. By '47, it was decided to combine it with the Legend of Sleepy Hollow. So there you go. Just kind of a we we don't know where else to put this. So let's. And it's funny too because which of these two is most popular now? <laughs> it's it's clearly the Ichabod story. I was about I to mean, say it's
0: Ichabod. <laughs> it's not Wind in the Willows.
1: Yeah, it's Unless like they I missed tagged it something. on thinking, you know, like, well, let's lump it with this. And, you know, over time, it's like, no, that the other story that you lumped it onto is actually the good one. Not, you know, not that's a bad story. We just, you know, whatever.
0: Well, I think that Disney was just trying to give you, quotation mark, value for your money. So when they <laughs> upped the price of these VHSs, because Disney VHSs were always fucking expensive, it's like, oh, yeah, but you're getting two feature films, quotation mark. <laughs> uh it, for the for this price and so that people are like oh okay cool that's two and it's like no well not they, worth it at all it back,
1: and even before there was vhs they did it with the movie version of it i mean just saying that well if you come watch this movie you get two films for the price of one you know yeah, it's like exactly the or, the original short story connects the last name crane to ichabod's physical appearance he is tall lanky and long nose resembling a bird known as a crane oh
0: 100 <laughs> percent
1: Uh, it also gives background to the headless horseman though, not an actual name, a figure on a horse back without a head. So, I mean that, you know, it's, they, they don't really give him a name in the story. Thankfully the headless horseman, I think it's better that way personally. Uh, Ichabod Crane can be seen as a typical gold digger since the story contrasts his poor financial situation with the prosperity of the Van Tassel family and Katrina's status as an heiress. Uh, his reasons for becoming her suitor are strongly implied to be financial. And (laughs) yes, he's greedy.
0: He's a gold digger
1: but he ain't messing with no (laughs) Katrina Van Tassel, or at least her name may be based on one of two female figures from sleepy hollow area in Westchester County. The sleepy hollow cemetery contains the graves of Katrina Ecker Van Tassel and her niece, Eleanor Van Tassel brush. Wow. This story, I mean this could be really really based on like a real life story, like seriously. I mean as well as even though it was a well-written piece of fiction, it could just be like he's literally telling a story that he
0: heard. Well, you know that the people of the <laughs> town probably really had this kind of story that was their way of keeping children in bed or making sure you got home early, you know? And it it was one of those scare tactics and they just kept it going for fucking centuries. <laughs>
1: you better get home at night or you're going to be, you know, in for a major fright. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, generally, uh, the nickname Brom as a shortened version of Abraham is, is rare. Generally it was just Bram, uh, as in Bram Stoker. (laughs) Uh, while the Disney film is popular and influential adaptation of The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, it is not the earlier one, earliest one. It was preceded by the Headless Horseman, a 1922 uh, silent horror film. Ooh. Yeah. I'm going to have to look that up because I, I meant to watch that, and I never did before the podcast. Just for Halloween season, yeah. if nothing else uh the original short story explicit uh, states that heiress katrina van tassel is 18 years old but is unclear about the ages of her suitors ichabod uh, crane and abraham brombones van brunt could be of a similar age or older than her it is left to the imagination of the reader i whenever i was reading the story got the hint that uh ichabod was a uh, quite a bit older and if nothing else just i mean it comes across because he's more cultured yes and brom bones is maybe closer in age like if she's 18 i want to say brom bones is like in his early 20s or yeah something.
0: i'm with you on that
1: one uh walt disney animation studios uh this is their 11th feature film and the last one that they produced in the 40s nice uh, much of the animation was recycled for use in the jungle book this How is do what they i'm talking about a large portion of King Louis' sequence was lifted from segments of the weasels chasing Mole and Brom uh, dancing with a short lady. Oh, my God. <laughs> so that's what I'm talking about. They literally just took, like, the animation sequences and just put something entirely on top of it. Yeah. And nobody knew until they had, like, VHSs and stuff and were watching this stuff back to back, and they were like, wait a minute. You know, like, they back in the day, they didn't have that option to do that. Uh, work on, uh, producing an animated version of Legend of Sleepy Hollow began in December 1946. Uh, the last name crane is indeed connected to the bird. Uh, the name is relatively common in both England and Scotland and less often appears in Ireland. Uh, various crane families, uh, migrated to American colonies in the te- 17th century, and some of them grew to relative prominence. Uh, a crane family from New Jersey produced some, uh, prominent politicians and military officers in the late 18th and 19th centuries. So him working in the angle about Ichabod becoming a politician could even be based on that. Um, It is unclear whether or not the Headless Horseman was a real ghost or was simply Brahmin in disguise. The original short story, as I said earlier, kind of hints that it's, you know, really Brahmin. Uh, the best evidence in the film to suggest that Brahm pretended to be a horseman is the similarity between the two characters' horses. However, if the horseman was in fact not Brahm, then Brahm's possible reasons for telling the story in the first place were either to spook Crane enough for him to leave town for good, to actually summon the demonic horseman from his song, or to make Crane so paranoid that he becomes careless on his uh, way home and ends up having a serious accident. Wow. I don't get it from... I think that that's an assumption on the last part because I don't think... Uh, Brahm would have been so evil as to wish that kind of harm, even though he did have reason to be pissed off at Ichabod. Yeah, but uh, I could see him possibly mentioning it if nothing else. I mean, you know, because you, you know, say the devil's name and he appears. I mean, that was you know, I mean, superstition even back then. So they could he could have been deliberately bringing him up just so that he could, you know, maybe he would make an appearance.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is why we don't talk about the pizza dude
1: that's right uh the headless horseman is one of the few disney villains to win on the other hand the ending ambiguously leaves up to the viewer to decide whether or not crane escaped a demonic pursuer i don't think he did
0: i choose to believe he didn't it's scarier to think that he died
1: <laughs> it, it's far scarier <laughs> uh rating time i'm gonna go first five out of five this is a perfect halloween story and uh perfectly animated and i love the music and everything involved with it just it's it's Nostalgia plays into it, but I guarantee you, if you showed this to kids uh, and you weren't one of those uh, nanny state parents that has to, you mm-hmm. know, uh, do all that stuff, I, I believe your kids would grow up to enjoy this as well. Oh, absolutely. It's just classic.
0: Yep. Uh, we'll say yes, my kids definitely love this. It is a classic. It is one of those, I feel like I could put this on repeat during Halloween season or even just on Halloween and catch some random, you know, section of it while I'm walking through the living room and just be enamored by it. I love this. It's a five out of five for me. It never gets old. It's so beautifully told.
1: Yeah. I've, I've had some Halloween seasons where I start off, like, October 1st with this and I end October 31st with this. Yeah. Like, I watch it twice in the same season just because it captures the spirit so well.
0: Well, I mean, and I know we discussed a little bit, but, I mean, can we, like, the music just heightens the anxiety and and the tone of what's going on in the orchestra. You don't, we don't get that now. It's just, oh, man, it, it's, it's perfect.
1: Yeah.